following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So as I said at the beginning of the service today, I am going to spend a few minutes now talking about what happened uh, in our country on Wednesday. And so if this is not a good time for you or those who are with you to engage with those events, um, no hard feelings if you want to say goodbye for now. And again, you can always catch the um, video or audio later uh, in the week. So like most of you, I watched the news reports this week in shock, in horror, in dismay, in disbelief, anger, confusion, fear, just about every other emotion you could imagine. In a season when we have endured so much, when our emotional and spiritual resources have been constantly running low, and at a time when we probably all felt we were just on the cusp of some relief, this happened. You know, many times over the years at Artisan, when current events have caused us to feel so disoriented, we've tossed out our plans for Sunday worship and instead spent an hour grieving and praying and sharing together. And this time we can't even be in the same room. And that hurts. And it doesn't really quite make sense to me to do that kind of thing over Zoom, uh, in part because that can be a very personal and private experience, and Zoom and Facebook Live are not remotely private settings. Uh, so it feels like we're left to process all of this on our own, without our spiritual community. But I want you to know uh, that you are not alone, even if it feels like it. In the New Testament, uh, the church is compared to a body. It's like a body with many members, which just means body parts. And right now we feel separated. We feel dismembered. We feel torn apart from each other. But it has never been physical proximity that has made us one body. It's our unity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And this spirit the good news is, is alive and well, and she binds us together. Even when, and I might say, especially when we feel lost and alone. So I will say it again, as I've said many times, you are not alone. I was particularly disgusted on Wednesday to see so much Christian imagery connected to the violence in the capital. Signs that read, Jesus saves, were hung on police barriers. A gigantic wooden cross was erected. And later, a cross was hung on the face of the Capitol building in between the Trump flags that had, been, uh, that had replaced the American flags that had been removed and thrown on the ground. Hymns were being sung. Prayers were being prayed loudly and conspicuously. All of this in support of such a destructive movement. And perhaps most unsettling of all, there were so many signs of racism and anti-Semitism 
There were swastikas. There were Confederate battle flags. There were deeply offensive slogans printed on clothing. There were various neo-Nazi symbols. There was even a noose hanging from a gallows. We may not want to admit this or even consider it, but make no mistake, this insurrection was an act of white supremacy. Falsely baptized in Christian symbology and energized by a despicable political movement that has not only been allowed to fester for far too long, but in fact has been nurtured and strengthened and emboldened inside the walls of the white church, especially but not exclusively white evangelical churches. These events happened on the day of Epiphany, a day when the church celebrates the revelation of God as embodied in Jesus. Never have we so desperately needed Jesus to be revealed, not only to the wider world, but to the church that bears his name. May it be that the church had an actual epiphany on Wednesday, that we have had the truth revealed to us in a way that we can't deny, and that we can begin to make repentance and make amends as we move forward. So I encourage you to join me in continuing to pray for our nation, for its peace, its security, and for its soul. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the whole earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In the Gospel of John, we read that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. May the light of Christ guide our way into new revelations with each passing day. Amen. And now... (laughs) an abbreviated version of today's planned sermon. I want to start, as I usually do, with uh, asking you a question that you are encouraged to respond to in uh, the Zoom chat, and I always love seeing your responses. The question I want you to answer today is, if you had to think of one word to describe God's view of humankind... One word, based on your reading of the Bible or what the church has taught you, what would the word be that describes God's view of humankind? What's God's main attitude toward human beings? Go ahead and type that into the chat for me. Dell says, beloved, I see love, love. (laughs) Granville says, face palm. (laughs) Corey says, flawed. Mine. Hmm. Frustrating and loved, 
Scott couldn't couldn't limit himself to one word. <laughs> Empathy. Children. <laughs> Michael says cherished. I think that was Joe who came up and typed motherly. Thank you. Steve says disgust. Jenna says peaceful when loved. Hmm. So we're seeing a mixture of things in the chat here, aren't we? A lot of different words that could be used to describe God's attitude toward humankind, uh, to describe God's view of people. And depending on what you were taught in church growing up or what you might have studied in the Bible, you could have lots of different answers. <clears throat> I love it. Aiden says family. Eileen says forgiven. Thank you for sharing those. I'm going to turn this. I'm going to go back to my notes so I won't see anything else in the Zoom chat. But as always, that sometimes is the most interesting part. So please keep typing in there if you want to. But I want you to think about a, a follow-up question. You don't have to answer this one in the chat. But what if you had to put down a word that describes how God feels about you specifically. Okay, not the whole human race now, just you. Your name. How does God feel about name? I wonder if it would be the same answer or if you'd have a different answer. I wonder if it would be more positive or less positive. Now, the difference between those two answers might be something worth pondering. That could be an interesting thing to do. So we are in a new season of the Christian year right now. It's, this, it's called the season after Epiphany. I mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, January 6th, Wednesday, was the Epiphany of the Lord, uh, or the Day of Epiphany, which is a day when we recognize the revelation of the Christ in the person of Jesus and uh, specifically begin to think about how that light is carried out to the Gentiles um, so you get the story of the of the Magi visiting the Christ child and um, Epiphany. The season after Epiphany um, is a season when we're always going to be thinking about how God is being revealed to the world. Okay, uh, and light is a common um, visual in in the season of Epiphany. That's why I encouraged you in my email this week to light a a candle as a way of praying that the the light would shine in the darkness. And um, we're going to be using the lectionary all through this season and, and very likely after that too. So you can continue to use the lectionary for your own Bible reading. I encourage you to do that. I can always help you find it if you have trouble, but I bet you can find it on your own, most of you. And the first Sunday after Epiphany is always the day when we remember the baptism of the Lord. Um, so I say the baptism of the Lord. Typically that would be stylized as capital L lowercase o-r-d, right? So let me give you a real brief um, kind of vaguely word nerdy thing about the word Lord in the scriptures. The baptism of the Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, refers to the baptism of Jesus, who's, who is named the Lord. Lord was a term that's um, uh, assigned only to Caesar in the Roman Empire, so giving Jesus that title is incredibly subversive, uh, speaking of the intersection of religion and politics. Um, <clears throat> 
But in the Hebrew Bible, what we commonly call the Old Testament, you see the word Lord, and it's usually stylized with a capital uh, in, in what's called small caps, a full capital L and then a small capital O-R-D, right? When you see that in the Bible, it's referring to um, the name of God in Hebrew, which is there's a lot of uh, stuff that's associated with speaking God's name in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew Bible. Um, so if you ever see Yahweh or Jehovah, those are kind of... Um, uh, anglicized versions of this name of God, which is stylized as small caps Lord, right? So you, we've seen, we've encountered both of those uses of the word Lord in today's scripture readings, and I thought it might be worth um, pointing that out. But today is the day of the baptism of the Lord, <laughs> Jesus. And it's also, as Pastor Jesse mentioned in the children's moment, a day when Christians remember their baptism. And so you might have been in a type of church that like takes maybe a palm leaf and dips it in the baptismal water and uh, flicks it out and you, you get splashed a little bit and you're like, oh, don't get me wet. I'm in church. It's supposed to be very dignified. I don't feel dignified. Uh, baptism itself is not a particularly dignifying uh, experience on the face of it, right? Uh, so it's a good reminder of the um, vulnerability that, it's, that it symbolizes in some way. Uh, and I wonder if you remember your baptism, if you've been baptized. And I also wonder if that's a positive for you or um, a negative for you. Some of us uh, were baptized into churches that ended up being abusive or had theology that we have found toxic and moved away from. And yet that's still the baptism that we have to remember. Right? Some of us have very fond memories of baptism and, and none of that associated baggage. And that's fine, too. So as you remember your baptism, uh, or imagine what it might be like if you haven't been baptized, I want to take just a minute uh, to think about God's voice. What does God's voice have to do with the baptism of the Lord or our own baptisms? Well, um, <clears throat> I'll tell you. Did you notice the, the recurrence of the, the word voice in Psalm 29 at the call to worship? Uh, if you were here at the beginning of the service, I do notice, by the way, that on par artisans are much more likely to be on time to Zoom church than to in-person church. I'm not sure what that's all about. Uh, but many more of you were here for the call to worship than might typically be, <laughs> which is why I sometimes tease you when I call out the call to worship in my sermon. I'll say for the three of you who were here for that. Anyway, many more than three were here for it. Did you hear all those uses of, uses of the word voice? The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Now, again, these are all going to be the small caps version of Lord. That um, means Yahweh, basically. You also, uh, if you were reading the lectionary passages on your own this week, you encountered the first of two creation stories in Genesis and um in Genesis 1, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And I love that story in Genesis 1 because it, it, uh, it gives so much power to the voice of God. God speaks worlds into existence. The voice of God is a powerful force. It, it creates everything. It proclaims God's power and majesty. It calls God's people up and out. And the voice is present at Jesus' baptism. Do you remember the last part of the story from Wendell read it a few minutes ago? 
And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The voice of God names Jesus as the beloved. I want to invite you to think back to what I've said recently about the meaning of the incarnation. To what I've said about the meaning of the fact that God took on a body in the person of Jesus and dwelled among us. I've said to you recently, many times in the past, that the incarnation, the embodiment of God in Jesus, means that God identifies more closely with humanity. But it also means, and this is the part that the church often misses, we, we sometimes get close to this and then kind of pull back from saying it because it sort of scares us. It also means that humanity identifies with God, with divinity. Right, so Jesus experiences the world on God's behalf in some sense, and we experience God through Jesus. And what that means for today as we think about the baptism of the Lord and remember our own baptism is that when God names Jesus the Beloved, God in some sense also names you the Beloved. And so think back to a few minutes ago when you imagined the name that God would give, not to the entire human race, but to you. And here I wish I could say all of your names. If you imagined God giving you a name that would contradict the idea that you are the Beloved, I wonder if you can believe and receive and accept this new name today. I wonder if you can imagine God saying to you, you are my son, my daughter, my child. You are the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Can you go from this place, from this day, knowing and believing that you are God's beloved child? May it be true for you. Let's pray. God, this story of Jesus' baptism is so remarkable because what business does Jesus have getting baptized in a muddy river? The holiness of God embodied, dipped into the water, and raised out of it. And what business do we have as human beings imagining ourselves to be your beloved child? And yet this story of Jesus' baptism and the reminder of our own baptism 
points us in exactly that direction. And for that, we are grateful. Help us to receive it. Help us to believe it. And help us to carry that love to the world around us. We pray in the name of the Jesus who was dipped in the water. The Christ in whom we place our trust. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.